My name is Justin. I'm the pastor here. And we have been going through a series in the book of Galatians. Uh, really excited for today. We have been going through kind of different uh, ways that the gospel has affected our lives. And a lot of the portion of uh, Galatians is speaking about the gospel and how it affects our lives. And today we get to talk about how the gospel just allows for the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to fill us, to lead us. And when Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven. But before he ascended into heaven, he said, I am going to be sending you a helper. And when he said that, he told them to wait in Jerusalem. He told the disciples to wait. And they waited. And this was our, our first series as a church just a few months ago about the, in the book of Acts when the Spirit comes and all the amazing things that the Spirit does. So when Jesus left, he said he was sending the Spirit because the Spirit was going to be guiding us and empowering us, filling us, was kind of this guarantee of heaven to come in our lives. And so after we believe in what Jesus has done, he sends his Spirit to us to be our guide, to be the thing that continually shapes us, renews us, molds us, transforms us. And so what's really exciting today is, you know, as we've been saying, we are justified, we are people of faith, we are adopted, uh, we are free today. We talk, uh, uh, the title today is We Are Spirit-Filled. And that means a lot of things. If you've grown up in church, that can mean a lot of different things to you. Uh, and so I hope that today our understanding of what it means to walk in the Spirit or be Spirit-filled will deepen our understanding of God, deepen our understanding of Scripture and the priorities that God has for our lives. So we're starting in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, and I'm just going to read one verse to start us out, and it says this, for you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, for, but through love serve one another. You know, if you have been listening to the last few weeks of messages, you may just have this thought in your head. I have freedom from the law. It's not by the law I am saved. It's only by faith because of the grace of God that I'm saved, that what Jesus has done. So I can do whatever I want. Right? All I have to do is I just believe, and then after that, man, I am just going to enjoy life. And I'm going to go on doing, nothing else changes. The only thing that changes is now I tell myself that, yeah, yeah, when people ask me a conversation like, do you believe in God? I'm like, yeah, I believe in God. I used to say now I don't believe in God. Now I say, yeah, I believe in God. And that's the only thing that changes. But Paul right here is about to drop the hammer on that. He's about to really explain that, yes, it's only by faith. You cannot obtain salvation. But when salvation comes, there's something in your life that changes, that the old passes away and the new comes, that through faith you enter in as a child, as a son or a daughter of God. And that changes your convictions, that changes your morality, that changes your heart, that changes 
what you feel good and bad about in your life. And you start to live not in the image of what you thought was fun or what you wanted to do, but in the image of your king, of Jesus. So if our understanding thus far of the gospel is it's, it's, it's my get-out-of-jail-free card, that I can do whatever I want for the rest of my life, then we've gotten it wrong. And today we get to understand the deep implications of this believing in Jesus and what it means for our life on a practical day-to-day basis. Because freedom from the law and salvation by faith what it actually does is it, it gives us a greater ability to follow the commandments of God than ever before. Because we realize that when we try doing it on our own, when we try kind of following this law, when we try working and doing and doing and doing, and we, we, and we look for our willpower and we look for ways that we can kind of accomplish and be a better person, and I'm going to follow these 10 steps and I'm going to do it right. When we do it that way, we constantly fall short. But when we put our faith in Jesus, we see that there's differences that start to happen in our life that actually now... We can follow God's commandments more than we ever were able to in the past. And that's really what today is about. And so let's let's read more on what Paul is saying. Verse 14, it says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So, in in following Jesus and putting your faith in Jesus... There's kind of three things that are going to be against you. There's the devil, there's the world, and there's your flesh. Today we're going to talk about the flesh. What does that mean? The flesh and the spirit are at constant war in your soul. If you've ever wondered, why do I, you know, why do I want to do good, and why does it seem like evil is kind of always close at hand? What it... What is this kind of, we make a joke of it in sitcoms of like the conscious where like the angel sits on one side of your shoulder and the devil sits on one side of your shoulder. That's like, that's a good representation of what it's like in the battle between your flesh and the spirit. And you're kind of thinking like, what is, what is the flesh? And whenever Paul is referring to the flesh in the Bible, he's talking about your human body, your physical form. He's talking about your human desires, your human wants. See, the thing that we need to understand about our humanness is that way back in the very beginning of time, the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they brought sin into the world so that every single person that came from them was born into a world of sin. We call that Doctrine of sin, original sin, the doctrine of original sin. That because Adam and Eve sinned, all of us are born into this sinful nature. And so our 
kind of natural desires, our natural wants, our natural inclinations are at war with God. We have these desires constantly. Like, why is it that we grow up and from very early ages, we find ourselves lying, we find ourselves stealing, we find ourselves wanting to rebel against our parents, we find ourselves going through stages of life of, of anger, of hatred. That part of growing up is learning how to control these things that innately we desire. Like it's, it's cool for a two-year-old to have a tantrum. You know, it, it, like you expect it. It's not like you're thinking what's wrong with that person. Like you don't think grow up because they're in that growing up phase. But if you see a 30-year-old kind of throw themselves on the floor screaming and crying and panting, why couldn't I get my cookie? You're like, what's going on? You know, like there's obviously something wrong. Because as, as we grow up, we learn kind of how to have self-control in certain areas. But yet, also, we just become really good at hiding what we're really feeling. We become really good at kind of finding the dark corners in life or the, the people that we can be in secret with. That as we grow up, we just get better at hiding what we're really feeling. Like, hey, I'm not going to have a tantrum now, but just wait till I get home. Or wait till I can talk to my friend because I'm going to curse that person out. Or we don't know what's going on in our mind. Or maybe there's ways that we cope with how we're feeling. Like we eat our problems away. We smoke our problems away. We sleep our problems away. We, we have sex for our problems to go away. We get better at coping, at thinking through different ways to hide, to push off, to not confront But the good thing about the gospel and why it is such good news is because it brings hope to us that, yeah, God says that doing these things are wrong. But it's not just enough to tell people that it's wrong or else we would live in perfect societies because of our laws. Right? We, we have it as a law, don't steal, don't murder, yet we deal with these things on a constant basis. But yet when we hear the good news of Jesus, that he has conquered these things and that we now have new life in him and that we can be like him, that gives us hope for a better day. See, what's incredible about what Paul is saying here, that we can actually walk in the spirit and that we can, the, the spirit comes in our life is that if you read the Old Testament, the Spirit was only descended on a few. There are a few moments in the Old Testament where the Spirit empowered certain people to do certain things. But yet in the New Testament, what's amazing is that the Spirit is for all of God's sons and daughters. It's something that everybody has access to through Christ. So that we know now that when we look to Jesus and we have faith in who he is and what he's done, that we believe, man, Jesus, that you have come, that you have died, that you have resurrected, and that you have ascended. In your ascension, there was the promise for the helper, for the spirit. And in his descension, 
we have become empowered to live lives that are pleasing to God, to live lives that are transformed by him and what he's done. Before I go too deep into what that looks like and what that means, I want to kind of explain more what are the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit because we have to understand in our lives, God, what does it look like for for me to be living in my humanness, for me to be living in my flesh, for me to be living in my nature that is opposed to you? And what does it look like for me to be living in your fruit, to have your spirit come in my life and to change and transform who I am? It's important to understand the nitty-gritty of that. And so the first thing I want to talk about is the flesh. What, do, what does that look like? What does it mean to live in the flesh or to have fleshly feelings? If you've been a Christian for a while, you've heard that saying a lot. If you haven't and this is your first experience with church, get used to it because you're going to hear it a lot. And so let's read in verse 19 where after these verses all of us will feel convicted. Or after I explain what they mean, all of us will feel convicted. So don't feel alone in your conviction. It says in verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, because of that last line, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, it's important for us to know this. It's important for us to understand what does the fruit of God look like and what does the fruit of me actually living out my own life look like. If we tell ourselves we believe in Jesus, yet we are not actually living out like we believe in Jesus. We should know that. So that we can search our heart and say, God, what has been disconnected in my life from believing and trusting in you to what actually is playing out right now in my actions and in my walk? Sometimes we think that belief in the gospel is a momentary experience. It's not. Belief in the gospel is a realization of lifetime dependence of, on God. It draws you close to God. All you need is in him. All that is worthy is in him. When we make it about a moment and not about a lifestyle... We still depend on ourselves. We, we've listened to a false gospel. We've, we've allowed our heart to entrust in something that is untrue, that is not right. And so how do we identify that? Well, we have to go through this. We have to be honest with ourselves. Let's have some honest introspection in our heart. This is not to condemn you. 
This is not to say you're an awful person, like what are you doing here in church? No, we do this introspection together because I can guarantee I do not check off everything on this list. I can guarantee you that as I went through this myself, I had to do some soul searching in my own heart and say, God, forgive me of of places and areas where on this list I have failed. This is not a place to say in church you must be perfect. This is not a place to say if you haven't gotten this right, then get out. This is a, a place that we ask for God to convict us so that we can repent, so that we can live out lives that reflect the beliefs that we hold in our heart. The first group, there's different groups that we see here that Paul is talking about. The first group has to do with sexual sin. He, he says sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. These words can be better described today as adultery, as prostitution, as sex outside of marriage. Our bodies are given to pornography, to masturbation. These are kind of what these words mean to us today. This is the translation for our world today. That if we deal with sexual sin, this is what it looks like. This is what our flesh is constantly warring with us to do, to be a part of, being tempted for. The second group that we see here is witchcraft, idolatry and sorcery. We may think like, all right, fine. Some of us may have participated in Santeria when we were younger, or maybe that is still something that we struggle with. But outside of that, it's not so prevalent today unless you realize how it works, magic, witchcraft. It's what Paul is really saying is it's dependence on other spiritual things that are outside of God. What does that look like today? Tarot card readings, going to psychics, getting your palms read, horoscopes. What spiritual things can I look to for my security and my future that are outside of God? The third group, and this is a group that I feel, these last few groups, I feel like church has talked about witchcraft and and sexual sin to a blue in the face. You know, you go to any church and we'll talk about these things every week. But we don't usually talk about this. This third group has to do with how we treat others. Enmity, strife, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, division. All of these things break God's commands for unity. They reflect selfish ambition in our heart. They put yourself above others. They look at your needs and look at somebody else's needs and say, no, I'm more important than you. What I want is greater. What I want is more, is better. The fourth group is about greed, jealousy, and envy a desire to have what the Lord has given to another. It's that coveting. And man, in our world today with Instagram, with Pinterest, it's the easiest thing to covet. With HGTV, I have to turn it off sometimes because I realize, like, I hate you. (laughs) Why do you have this home and backyard? and you color for a living, and your budget is like $5 million. Anybody been seeing that meme go around on social? It's so true. 
And here we are in New York, busting our butt off 12 hours a day, and I can't even afford like a plot, the, the plot of land I'm standing on. It would be too expensive for me. When we want, we covet, we desire something that other people have, we get jealous in our heart. We think, why don't I have that? I deserve that. They don't deserve that. Yo, she got that promotion and I didn't get that promotion? Who do they think they are? I work harder than her. I deserve that more than she does. Forget this company. Forget this place. I hate my boss. That's what greed looks like. The fifth group, drunkenness and orgies, is about excess. You know, orgies we may think of in the sexual category, but actually here it more pertains to the clubbing category. It's about this excess, about overindulgence, even with lots of other people. And it's like, oh, Justin is going clubbing a sin. I didn't say that. But when you're grinding on somebody all night and drinking and blacking out and throwing up after, yeah, that's a bit sinful. You know, I, I studied abroad in Greece, and we went out clubbing one night. I was hanging out with Stephanie, and I remember after I went home that night, and I prayed a simple prayer. I said, God, thank you for sending my friend Stephanie with me tonight. Because when you get in that atmosphere, it's just like all you want to do is sin. It doesn't matter what kind of lifestyle or life that you've had. It's like when you get there, the temptation is so deep and so strong. I couldn't have held out on my own. I needed a friend with me there. She didn't even say anything or do anything to me. Just her presence stopped me from being an idiot. <laughs> Heather's happy about that. <laughs> I thought you were with the kids. What are you doing in here? <laughs> I wasn't dating her yet, thank God. But those things are about excess. Indulgence. The feeling that God wants us to have after reading this is not condemnation. It's conviction. And let me explain those two different words to you real quick. Condemnation says this, you will never live up to that. Give up. Condemnation says that is your life. You will not have the kingdom of God. Walk away. Don't ever come back. Stop praying. Stop trying. Condemnation pulls us away from God. Conviction says, even though I am not like that, I want to be. Conviction leads us to prayer and repentance to bring us closer to God. It says, conviction says, thanks be to God that I cannot conquer this, but he has, and through him, I have. Conviction reminds us that the gospel has opened up a way for imperfect people to go before a perfect God. Conviction reminds me that I am not justified by my own works, but I am justified by Jesus. The difference between a gospel-loving person and a non-gospel-loving person is this. When we go through this list and we find sin in our life, the non-gospel person will just keep on going on as they are, whether it's through condemnation or just not caring. The gospel-loving person will get on their knees on repentance and say, God, I have messed up. 
turned away from you. I don't want this in my life. This is not who you are. This is not who I want to be. Father, can you make me whole? But then Paul describes this. He says, this is the fruit of God's spirit working in us. The fruit of a lifestyle of dependence on God, starting in verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to, Jesus, to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The first thing that Paul mentions here is love. And the thing about love is love encompasses all of what Paul just mentioned. I want to read a verse in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. It says, this is like the fame, if you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard this before. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. You know what I, I love about this is when Paul goes into the, the fruit of the Spirit in our life, to me, there's something that is glaringly gone from what he's talking about. He doesn't talk about prophecy. He doesn't talk about the gifts of the Spirit. He doesn't talk about health and wellness. He doesn't talk about success. He doesn't talk about all the things that we make the Spirit about today. But he talks about character, about love. He talks about joy, where joy says, even in this moment of pain, I can rejoice. In moments of happiness and despair, the joy of the Lord is my strength. He talks about peace. In scripture, it says, live in peace with one another. Peace be to you. Peace from the Father. Peace that surpasses understanding. The peace that he, he mentions here is peace with others. That God has made peace with us through Christ. Thus, we ought to live in peace with other people, with him as our example. Are you a peacemaker? Patience, patience during difficult times, patience with one another. Patience is that, man, I want to delete your number right now. You, you truly deserve to just be hit. I, I, I'm going to, you're going to get the most... Crazy curse out through text in five seconds if you don't stop. Patience says no. I'm, I'm going to live with you. I'm going to walk through this with you. Even when you do things against me, even when you harm me, I will walk through this with you. Kindness something I could have practiced this morning 
couple of you will get that. The bagel people messed up our order. <laughs> I'm taking pictures, the same guy that always messes it up. I was ready to go there. But thankfully, God has sent God, kind people to Zion that reminded me that we are to be kind to others. Goodness here talks about generosity. Being generous towards people, not, not just with your, your money, just with your person. Being good towards them. Having goodness in your heart is being generous with people. Jesus was generous with us, with his life. He was generous to us. With everything that he had, he gave it up for us. In the same way, the fruit of the Spirit is us being good and generous towards others. Gentleness, meekness, humility. Later on in Galatians, it says this, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. In 2 Timothy 2.25, it says, Correcting his opponents with gentleness. When I come after you and you've done something wrong, I can condemn you. I can make you feel awful about yourself. When, when you've messed up beyond repair, I can, you know, we, we've been there with family, with friends, when, or with our bosses, our jobs, or we, we made a mistake and somebody just came on us. But Paul says, with gentleness, restore people. That even when they deserve harshness, when they deserve wrath, we have been in a place in our life where we have deserved wrath and harshness, but instead God gave us grace and mercy. So restore people with gentleness when there's transgression, when there's something that needs to be taken care of, be gentle with them. Faithfulness speaks to devotion it's associated with faith in the gospel, in Christ, our ability to be sustained in him. Self-control is restraint. It's seeing that cookie on the counter and knowing that this is gluttony if I eat this 10th cookie right now. I do not need to eat this 10th cookie. Seeing the brownie pie and only eating one piece of the brownie pie, that is self-control. This is what the Christian walk is all about. This is the fruit. This is the outcome of it. We have made it about prophecy. We have made it about success. We have made it about health. We have made it about titles. We've made it about money. We've made it about megachurches. But here is what Paul tells us it is about. It's, it's about how do you love and treat people? How do you walk with them? How do you restore them? What is your patience level like? What is your self-control like? What, what, what does it look like when somebody gets you mad? Are you a peacemaker in situations or do you stir the pot? Are you right there amping it up? Are you saying, how can we come together? Where is our common ground? It is about being kind. It is about loving people. It is about saying no to temptation and sin when they present themselves. It is about having constant faith in Christ no matter what the circumstances look like.
And you may just be asking yourself, how, Justin, how? It's a question I've asked myself and pondered on many days and many nights, but Paul says it right here. He says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Stop looking internally for the answer. Give yourself wholly to him. Realize this today, that it is only by the Spirit's work in your life that you can walk this way, that you can have this fruit, that you can live this way, that you can say no to temptation. What does it look like in your life to not be aided by your own power and your own strength, but to rely on the strength of God? What does it actually look like to walk in the spirit? It's, it's when you say, God, I can't do this on my own. I give myself wholly to you. My faith is in Christ alone. It is not in me. It is not in my willpower. It is not in my self-sustaining abilities. It is not in my ability to be disciplined. It is not in my ability to get things right. It is not in my intellect. It is not in my grades. It's not in my job. It is not in these things. It is in you alone. And what does that do? It causes us to pray daily. It causes us to read our Bible daily. It causes us to have silence and solitude with God. It causes us to bring ourselves to a place of confession with one another. It causes us to repent before others and before God. It causes us to meditate on who he is and what he's done. Sometimes we make it about these things that will bring us holiness in our life and bring the fruit of the Spirit, but we have it backwards. It's, it's fully depending and understanding what Jesus has done that brings us to these places. If you start thinking, hey, if I pray every day, I'm going to be good, then you've got it wrong. It's, hey, I need to depend on God every day. And that brings me to a place of prayer that brings me to a place of study, that brings me to a place of love of God. And guess what? It changes your heart when you begin to do that. Your prayers suddenly change of, God, I don't want to do this anymore, to realizing that I've just been praying that I want to know God, I want to depend on him in my heart. My mind is being renewed. The old life that I had, it, it start, it, it's passed away. I'm this new person that can be nice to somebody, whereas in the past I had a mouth on me. Whereas in the past, you may say, like, in this moment, I would have cursed at you right now. You may tell someone, you don't know how lucky you are that God has changed my life. You would have had a scar. I'm just being honest, right? You may look at your life and realize that, hey, somebody got promoted above me today or, or that person's making more money and all I did was just make fun of them my whole life, but I'm not jealous, like I'm content with what I have. That's the Spirit's work in your life. You begin to realize that the more time you spend with him, the more time you begin to be like him. But sometimes we worry so much about being like him, about what we have to do to be like him. We just, we forget about the key point of just being dependent on him. I'm going to end with this, a call for us to walk. Let us be people who look internally and see no hope. That sounds bad, I know, but it's true. 
But let us be people that look at God and see all that we need. Let us be people that have deep dependence, deep devotion to the one who could have turned his back and had every right to turn his back on me, but instead turned into me and called me and said, Justin, you are my son. Come. Let us be people who walk by the spirit, not walk by the power of my discipline, not walk by the power of my habits, not walk by the power of my strengths, but be people who walk by the spirit. In contemplation, in meditation, in joy, in peace, in patience, in love of all that he's done. Now, when people think of us, they wouldn't think of us as people who shout well on Sunday, who jump up and down great on a morning once a week, but they think of us as loving and as joyful and as kind people who have goodness in their hearts towards others, who are kind, even in situations where kindness isn't what is called for. That we would be people of repentance, of confession. Let's pray.